Hey everyone, happy Saturday. This is Noel, host of Pod Rocket, here to bring you one of my favorite episodes that you might have missed. Svelte 4 with Jeff Rich. This is a brief but interesting look at some of the changes that came with Svelte 4, including restructuring work and the underlying repo, some changes driven by SvelteKit, and updates to custom elements to enable devs to write standalone web components more easily and safely. So here it is, Svelte 4 with Jeff Rich. Hi, and welcome to PodRocket. I'm Sean, and joining us today is Vic Vijaya Kumar, principal engineer at Twilio, who recently spoke at RemixConf this year about building tech with low-code tools for social good. Welcome to the show, Vic. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, so you've already had a full uh, career before going to Twilio, but can you talk about like how you got into engineering in the first place? Uh, sure. Uh, my entry into engineering is actually quite boring and uh, what what you'd call traditional. Uh, I have a four-year degree in computer engineering, which to be fair is more to do with hardware than software. But uh, So I just began to work on a master's program in cybersecurity and I got a job as a student program with the university. Um, and I liked that way more than I should have. And next thing you know, the university offered me a full-time job to write web stuff. Uh, roughly around then, my girlfriend moved across the country to get her PhD. And way back then, you had to usually live in the city of the company that you work for. So I took on a job as a first engineer at a company in Durham um, that was helping non-native scientists get published in English language journals. Uh, it was such a roller coaster ride because uh, I became an EM and then an engineering director. And then I hired and scaled and learned so much. And then I decided I want to go back into IC work. And I hired my own replacement, became a principal engineer. When that company got acquired, I moved to Eventbrite to work on front-end infrastructure and architecture work, and then onto a product team there. Um, and then I have now just recently, this is actually just my second week at Twilio, I joined as a principal engineer on their platform side. Well, that's exciting. Um, congrats on Twilio. Thank um, you. So it sounds like you got a lot packed in there, but somehow you also find time to, to do it on the side as well. Uh, and you call yourself an, an indie maker. So what does that mean to you? Sure. Uh, so there's... Two parts to that. Um, I'm an independent creator, right? The indie part, um, I work on projects entirely funded by my own sweat, blood, and tears, uh, taking care of everything from infrastructure all the way to the front end. Um, I've always been kind of a T-shaped generalist at heart. Um, and I think this has been kind of a good way for me to make sure that I still stay appraised of everything that's happening across every layer of the cake. So, you know, I said earlier, right, like I work in platform right now in Twilio. But I don't. I want to make sure that the rest of the web world doesn't like get away from me while I'm not paying attention to it. And I think the the indie part of that helps me do stuff that is not directly related to my job to still kind of. I don't want to say to stay relevant, but it's so that I can still follow the discourse, still know what's going on, right? Um, and you know, I know as much now about the hottest way to spin up servers as I do about front end frameworks. The creator part, um, I made. I make things that you know try to add some value into this world, whether that's creating tutorials or podcasts or software that helps people. Yeah, I think that's also one of the most fun aspects of software engineering is there's always new tools and frameworks coming out to to play around with uh, all these all these new shiny toys for us. Um, and so, one of your side projects is about you know creating good with with social good with low code tools. So, how did you come up with that idea in particular? Uh, that's a that's a fun one. Uh, so I generally my way of like really generating ideas is just like things that will scratch my own itch. Uh, in this case, um, we had a kid. Uh, so the girlfriend that I moved across the country with, she and I got married. 
uh, we had a kid. Uh, she went to preschool, and I realized that, well, I had to, we had to fill out all these forms to get her into preschool. And then they said, okay, we'll get back to you. And they literally sent us a letter in the mail of, you know, her getting into school. And then we had to drive in to go drop off a check for the tuition and all the stuff. And I realized that, wow, this is an insane amount of paper. And there's just so much paper going back and forth. And this is a perfect use case, right? Is someone getting into the school. And there are plenty of, yes, there's, there's wait lists for preschools. Uh, that's another thing we can not talk about. But, but there's so many, there's so much other wasted paper of all these people who are dropping off forms. Oh, there's a mistake on your form. You got to come back and fix that because you forgot to fill in your kids' allergies or something like that. There's all of this back and forth. And it seems silly to us, but this happens every day across thousands, millions of schools across the country all the time. And when a new preschool director came into um, the school, she had come from a college. And I think one of the very first times I met her, she said something about, wow, sorry, I'm still just getting a hold, getting all of this paper and trying to figure out, you know, like what goes where and all this. And there's still this filing cabinet full of paper that I haven't even looked through. And I said, you know, for a day job, I actually help people sort through messes like this and I automate workflows and is this something that like that I could possibly help you with? And it was, and I should admit, it was a polite offer. And she jumped on and she said, yes, when can we talk about it? I was like, okay, you know what? This is a problem that I'm vested in as, a, as someone who doesn't like to fill out paper forms and uh, something that you seem to care about because you don't know why a kid is convulsing on the ground without digging through a bunch of paper. I feel like we can come to an agreement here of what to do to solve that problem. Definitely sounds like, some of our an archaic system, but so many aspects of our society like totally just run on on paper and uh, in manual systems. So like, yeah, were you already working on a side project at the time? No, I wasn't. At uh, so oh, you mean like this project or just any? Yeah, this. Were you working on anything at the time, or were you like, okay, this is a good opportunity to kind of start something new? I think at that time, like all of my quote unquote side projects were kind of offshoots of proof of concepts of things that were work related. Because my job at the time was very much go play with things, figure out proof of concepts that we can productize. So I used to spend, I also had, uh, I want to say like pretty poor work-life balance because I would use my free time to basically do work. And I turned that, that exact time that I was already doing that into basically doing not work, which was this. So overall, I still wrote code when I shouldn't have been writing code but at least now i was doing it for the joy of it instead of you know yeah and then someone someone else is getting some benefit out of it too and so right that's yeah exactly making a lot of people happy by you know getting the nod drive to fill out a form okay so the preschool has this problem and like how did you can you work us through like your thought process of like how you decided like how to fix it what tools you would use and particularly the low code tools yeah uh, so I wanted to do this as fast as possible. I didn't want this to be a typical software engineering project, like if they had gone and contracted a, you know, a, a firm or something like that, right? And I wanted to show them how quickly they could win at this. So the very first thing um, I think I did was I converted their entire um, application process into just, you know, I, I didn't use Typeform or anything like that. Because those don't have validation. Like I find it harder to do validation using something like that. For example, let's say we say, hey, pick a class among this list of classes. One thing that these forms always got returned for was that someone whose whose kid would turn three in November 
is not actually eligible for the three-year-old class. It's like because there's some math needs to happen there. And these things would always get returned. So I wanted to add some logic there. And I found that the easiest thing for me to do was to actually build a simple HTML and JavaScript form. And this wasn't much work. Like I could get this done. I They basically gave me an application form, which I'd seen before, but I took that form and I converted to HTML and JavaScript. Pretty simple there. Um, and I added like all the validation that you need, everything that says, hey, you, you said your kid has allergies, but you didn't fill out the allergy part, you know, all that stuff. So it was a direct transformation of the paper form into a, you know, I think it was like React file form or something like that. And then the next thing I did was this, all this data had to go somewhere, right? And I didn't want to have it go into a database, like a MySQL or something like that, because then I would have to give them a way to read that database. And now you have to train people on, oh, here's a tool called phpMyAdmin, and each of you need different logins, and you need to go into that. And um, at that time, I think Airtable was really popular and, and starting to get popular. I mean, it's very popular now. Um, and so I had it basically so that anytime the parent would click, you know, submit on that form, it would validate that, and then it would shove it into an Airtable. And then it would send the school an email, and it would send the parent an email basically saying, Here's what you filled out. Here's a complete record of what you filled out. Back in your email, immediately, we've received your application. There's nothing left for you to do. And this right away, like, I, I demoed this to them, and their eyes just lit up. They were like, wow, what? And they're like, what is this going to cost us? I'm like, it doesn't cost you anything. It took me, like, I don't know, like, two hours of my time. I'm not going to charge you for that. You, you take care of my child for a good amount of the day, <laughs> enjoying the podcast consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes yeah that's awesome and it's funny like i because i think if i were building this out, i would think yeah my sequel or sequel light but so were you kind of planning as part of this process that you wouldn't want to have to spend a ton of time maintaining in the future or that someone who wouldn't have experience coding would be maintaining in the future yeah i didn't want to become their it team right i didn't want to be the person that was responsible for uh, you know a kubernetes cluster for a a daycare or something like that you know i wanted it to be as um as little involvement for me as possible and i wanted it to go into commercial tools that had their own support right like airtable and it turned out like for the amount that they use they actually um i think only very recently started to pay for airtable i think it's like ten dollars a month or something like that. i don't even know but at the time they didn't have enough usage to even need you know paid accounts and they could each have different logins they were already using uh, Gmail, I think, so they could just use their Gmail logins to log into Airtable and look at the school, and they could see these records, you know, start to populate with every kid. And if they had any Airtable questions, which they didn't, they could ask Airtable support, or you know, I'd be able to help them with that. I didn't have to create a user interface for them to view their records. I didn't have to create an admin side of things. I didn't have to deal with any of that. Right? This project, I could have done it in a month. Or I could have done it in two hours and like made my involvement in as little as possible. Nice. And so I imagine it saved them hours and hours of, of time going through these forms. So much. I think, um, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it used to take them, I want to say something like 60 hours to do this. And then it came down to like three or four hours for one person instead of a team of them trying to sort through because the thing is these applications would come in and they would have to sort them into different classes and they wanted it to be like classes of people that were roughly the same ages 
and like a split between, you know, boys and girls. They didn't want it to be all boys or all girls. And they wanted the kids to be like, oh, if you have kids with allergies, let them all be in the same class. You can have an allergy specialist taking care of that class and stuff like that. And they would be sorting through this in, you know, through a pile of paper. Imagine that. But instead, they could instead just like group people by ages and genders and whatever in Airtable. And this just drastically sped it through. And they could do this like real time as applications are coming in instead of waiting to sort through a pile of paper. So it dramatically improved their lives. They still use it. uh, And the parents love it. And this is all I should, you know, I should say this is all pre-COVID. So back when people were willing to go and hang out in a room and sort through piles of paper and were willing to go in and, you know, drop checks off. Even back then, people were like, this is is annoying. Why would I do this? Yeah. Since then, has the word gotten around that you kind of have the ability to, you know, transform small business processes, have other people reached out and and asked for your help? Yeah. So locally, um, there was, I think, this text message group of like preschool directors in the Raleigh area or something like that. And each of them reached out to me about how they could change their own school. Because what happens, right, is when one school is able to get back to you within hours, confirm immediately, you know, they have such a huge competitive advantage over all the other schools in the area that they all want to have that kind of like quick ability to get back to you. So they all wanted me to help with them. And I was able to help a couple of them, but eventually I had to I had to say, hey, you know, I have to slow down on this a little bit because they none of them wanted standard forms. You know, they all wanted like just a little bit more customization. I'm like, no, now you're like you're trying to turn me into a, you know, into a web shop. Right. And the more customization you have to do, right, it kind of takes away from your ability to scale yourself to help people for free. Um, and that's why I had to stop. Uh, another fun one. Uh, when I talked about this project on Twitter random schools from across the country reached out to me. And I think like parents maybe linked the thread to their school and said, Hey, they can do this. Why aren't you doing this? But that was, that was also fun for me to see. And I've, I've actually scheduled calls with a couple of these schools to just like chat with them, see what they're, um, I think, I think primarily they just want someone to chat with and say either this is absurd or you're on the right track here. Um, they seem to know that what they're doing is not ideal because I'm guessing they've had parent pushback. But yeah, I have a couple of those conversations lined up. Yeah. So what, where does the need from this come from? Is it because code is just so expensive to, you to hire people to write it? Why do you think this is like a pervasive issue? That's it, right? Uh, code is expensive. Um, you know, when you're trying to get... It's expensive both for you as a creator to have to create it and maintain it. Uh, and it's expensive for you to go out and get someone to write something for you. Because... It's not, I mean, time is not free um, and it's an opportunity cost for the person that's helping you. Uh, oftentimes, though, like when you hand a project like this to someone, they're not thinking of it as a mix of low code tools. They're looking at it as what, how can we scale this to like, I don't know, millions of users, whatever. I mean, the school has a hundred and, you know, like 200 kids tops per year. You, they're, you know, that's that's the number of records. I mean, that's like the amount of records that you can fit into a free year table. Right? So you don't have to make it an expensive project for yourself or the school. And, and I think when you reduce the total cost and the total burden it is for you to provide this assistance to someone, you're far more likely to take on the project. Like even and, you know, um, yeah, that, I think that's the bulk of it. Yeah. If if 
if this is really easy for you to do, if it's really easy for you to help people, you're far more likely to do it than if it's something that, you know, is a huge burden to you. It's Emily again, producer for Pod Rocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of Pod Rocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know. And that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. So there's like an aspect of profitability where this code will help a business, but it won't necessarily like have some sort of startup level effect where they'll have tons of customers because there's a limit to how many kids can enroll in a preschool. So um, the originally when I you know, when I did this, um, it was like I helped one school, Airtable and forms, and it was done right. And then what happened was in subsequent years, parents said, you know, I filled out this form already last year. I just really don't want to fill it out again. Is that possible? And actually, that parent was my wife. Um, so I was like, you know what? I do have this information from you last year. I could this year do a little bit more effort. And when you log in, I'm like, okay, this needs a login system now, right? So that it can retrieve your existing kids. So after you do something, you know, bare minimal that like can help a lot of people, you can start to think about whether this is something you want to productize, is something you want to scale. And by scale, I still don't mean the ability to handle 10,000 kids. That's a high school. That's actually, that's more than a high school. That was like the size of my college. But, you know, you want to think about like, are there ways that you could help just make the user experience a little better? And so I did end up adding login to it. And then I did end up um, creating uh, a way to store all these records in MySQL. But the thing is, uh, the school doesn't get access to MySQL. Uh, the MySQL part of it is purely for me to be able to offer a better experience to the parents logging in. Um, all of these records still get sent over to Airtable. So as far as the school is concerned, people are still applying and all their stuff shows up in Airtable, and they're still able to move things around, group it, whatever they need to do directly in Airtable. So I still didn't make a huge admin interface for them to be able to view and sort and any of that stuff. I mean, why would I? Airtable has a really good interface to do that. Uh, but this now also allowed me to be able to say, hey, other schools, you know, you're free to come in um, and, you know, register your kids through this as well and then you know your stuff just goes into your air table so yeah so you've made a bunch of incremental changes but the mvp that you released was still super helpful do you think that other people who kind of are hacking on the side or other indie hackers could kind of benefit from that advice just releasing it earlier than you than you think yeah it's uh there's, there's something to be said about like if you are looking at a, a car right and you're like you know, I really could, you know, I don't know, let's say that you built a car or a house or whatever analogy you want to look at it. 
But until this thing is in service, until this thing is like on the highway, you know, transporting people, you're going to be consumed by this desire to make it better. You're going to look at it and say, well, you know, it's it really could be better. But the truth of it is that until it is on the road, on the highway, like transporting people, it's not really doing its job. And I think two things come here. One, it's it's important to ship this as soon as possible so it can help people. One, as a way to stay motivated to still work on this thing, because once it starts to help real people, once real people are using it, you just get like just motivation to actually work on this project more. And it also helps you understand what parts of this are actually critical to upgrade or change while it is being used. Um, as opposed to if you have a project just sitting stagnant, unused, you're going to say, you know, I really should rewrite that from like Node to Golang this week. You know, I bet that would be way faster. I bet people would like that way more if I did that. And the thing is, that's it's a lie. You're lying to yourself because it has it has zero users. No, no one zero users don't care what the back end is. Yeah, I think we all like developers work on side projects like given frequently to the temptation to like start on a new idea or add in some unnecessary optimization. So I guess, yeah, releasing it and having people actually start using it forces you to work on the, the things that kind of matter to them. And, and I just said something, right? Like I said, zero users care what your backend is. But actually, even if you had a million users, they still don't care what your backend is. They really only care about the user experience and the front end, right? You could, so as an example here, when I had this, you know, the preschool thing going, the back end was Airtable. Did the users care what the back end was? They literally only care about, you know, how they're filling out these forms. And then eventually when these, when I added login to those forms and they were able to like look at, oh, their, their kids data and like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to update their allergies because I found a new allergy last week or whatever. They still don't care that all of this is going to get dumped into Airtable and the school's using that as a way to group them. So I, I think we often get like bogged down in details because we are thinking about things that the users don't necessarily care about at all. And shipping early is really it's sort of the, the, you know, the, the, I don't know, the panacea for that. Just, just get it out there. And if no one uses it, no one cares about it. You've just saved yourself a ton of time. You didn't change your backend to go for something that no one ended up using anyway. You know, it's you either you either incrementally improve it or you kill it. It's it's done. So what are so if we're thinking about you know focusing on the front end and then just getting as quickly as possible, what are what are, what's the landscape like for the low code tools to just like get something working as a as a back end? You mentioned Airtable. Are there other others that you considered? Yeah. So, um, so at the time, I think what I did was, um, so this was, I built like an HTML page. Um, you know, I, th- I want to say it was Next.js. Yeah. I think it was Next.js. So it was a Next.js page, uh, using React forms. And it was, so it was really simple for me to spin it up. Uh, and then I deployed this to Vercel, which was free. Um, and then what it did was it made API calls to, um, what I don't remember right now, but, um, but what I would do probably is I think I sent it to Zapier and yeah, that's what it was. I sent it to Zapier and Zapier forwarded this on to Airtable and also forwarded it on to an email service. And then the emails went out that way. Um, I think Airtable has since then like added features where you can, you can act on rows and you can like have it do things, but it wasn't a thing back then. Um, so Zapier is a really nice, very low expensive, sorry, very 
low cost way for you to be able to like take on multiple actions. And you don't have to, you don't have to write like API integration code. You don't have to like try to deal with the various SDKs. You can just say, Hey, Zapier, talk to, I don't know, Postmark or something like that and send this email out. And you don't have to try to learn these new APIs. You don't have to try to, you know, if you decide that you want to replace Airtable with Google Sheets, you still, your front end application is still only talking to Zapier. And you can just like switch these things out in the back end. It's like, you know, very much changing a tire on the highway sort of thing. Yeah, that sounds really nice from in terms of development efficiency. And also kind of ties in to a point that you made in the Remix Conf talk about outsourcing your scope. Um, can you kind of explain like what you meant? what you meant by that in the talk and what are the advantages of doing so? Yeah, so I think you can iterate really, really fast when you outsource scope. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, so in the in this case, I didn't really spend any time building a filterer or a sorter or you know any kind of admin UI, right? Because I was just taking all of that and I was relying entirely on Zapier's, so not Zapier, Airtable's backend. I was just shoving all of it into, into I keep saying Zapier, but it's Airtable kept shoving all of it into Airtable's backend and I could just rely on a billion dollar company who were dedicated to building a backend and UI for me instead of me needing to do any of that. Even if I had to pay for Airtable at that time, it would still have been like tens of dollars instead of, you know, I'm trying to imagine it would probably have taken six to eight hours of my time, right? Time that is opportunity cost that I can instead spend with my kids. You know, time, it would have taken away valuable time for me that I would have been spending um, building this user interface. And may, it may never have been as good as just Airtable. Now, I keep saying Airtable here, but it could be just as well. It could be Google Sheets. And when you use something like, you know, Zapier, you can mix and match those. You can just switch that out. You can send the data to three different places if you wanted to. If they, the school had said, oh, you know, we really just prefer working in Excel. Okay, yep, here you go. Now all your data is in Excel. I'm not going to spend any amount of time actually like changing the integration. I'm just going to send the data to a different place. And, and I think that's just a, like a fascinating way of being able to do all of this work for free, basically, without me needing to, you know, hand code any of that stuff. Yeah. And it kind of sounds like a similar trade-off, for example, to using like Google for your SSO. Um, like you can kind of trust that they've built it right. And, authentication is a very complicated thing. Turns out databases are a very complicated thing too. And um, Airtable Airtable's kind of done that legwork for you. People people love to rewrite authentication systems when they when they sh- absolutely like you have no business doing that. You know, a lot of smart people have solved this problem for you already many many times over. Don't do it. Okay, so tying it back to the beginning, having uh, so you you hack on the side um, and I think a lot of other developers do so too. So why, why should people care about using this time to do things that are that uh, are socially good? Sure. I mean, you could, I'm not going to be prescriptive about how you spend your time. Uh, you know, feel free to use your time for whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, but my, my goal in all of this is to tell people that, you know, do as little as possible to create value in this world um, as fast as possible, right? I mean, that's not to say don't build well-engineered systems. That's not it at all. But the faster and cheaper it is for you to do good things and provide value and you know provide good karma into the world, the, the easier it is for you to do this, the more likely it is that you're going to do it. It's about, you know, reducing your, you know, reducing the, you know, the, 
I don't know, the, the height of the mountain that you need to climb or something like that, right? Um, and so, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of old, old systems and small businesses out there that are getting eaten up by by software, getting eaten up by Silicon Valley funded software. And you're starting to see these small businesses that are disappearing out of your neighborhoods and your communities because they're being replaced by, you know, the Amazons of, I don't know, the Amazons of preschool or whatever, right? And it's important that a lot of these places can stay I mean, not just competitive. I mean, they're not going to be able to compete with Amazon. That's not the point I'm making. It's important for all these places to still provide a good experience for people that are, you know, that are using them. And and I think that it is a valuable effort, and it's, I think it's a valiant effort to help them um, still be, I guess, competitive, right? Um, still be able to provide a good experience for your, you know, whether it is. Whether they're your produce box that delivers your produce or whether they're, you know, preschool or whether they're, you know, some other thing like that. Um, it's just a it's just a way for you to spread good karma around. You know, there's this like there's this like famous, um, you know, quote that I've seen somewhere that says something about how, you know, uh, you know, find a business that is using a fax machine. Oh, yeah. The, the keto successful startup is finding a company that has a lot of profit and a fax machine to go compete with them. And you don't have to do that. You, you could just you could go help them instead. You know, you, you don't everyone doesn't have to build a startup that competes with. I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to build a, a preschool competitor. It's, it's not what I'm into, you know, but I can go help them. Yeah, not everyone's looking. Not everyone's looking to start a company. And I programming is this you know skill that has. Uh, the ability to you know affect a, a lot of people in, in a good way, especially um, you know if they can't afford to, to hire someone to do it, and and really for not huge amount of effort. So yeah, I think yeah, and everyone is like, oh, well, how can I use my programming skills on the side? And everyone is like, oh, you know, I'm gonna make a hobby and I'm gonna monetize that hobby. And you know, if if that's you, good for you. This is not me saying you shouldn't do that at all. But the things that you can do with this skill that you have shouldn't always be to start another business. Sometimes it can be to just help the ones that that already exist out there. And these are people that already know what they're doing. And you can just help them be better at what they do. And I think that's, that's a, that's an important thing that sometimes we forget that we could just help other people, we don't have to do our own thing. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways to use your free time that we don't always um, talk about. And so for those listening, where can we find you online? Ah, I am on Twitter as Vic Vijayakumar. Um, I'm also on VicVijayakumar.com, which is my blog that I've probably updated, I don't know, like three times this year. But every now and then I still write on there. Uh, that is most of it. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today, Vic. It was awesome getting the chance to talk with you. Thank you so much. This is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts.